guys help me welcome our senior pastor, Van, to the stage for the message? Thanks, Jordan. What an awesome welcome. Hey, isn't, isn't Jordan awesome? Didn't he do an incredible job? Yeah, man. We embarrassed him. He has to leave now. Uh, he's good. Yeah. You know, that whole dance thing, I, I just have such admiration for people who can dance wildly like that. Uh, you know, before I got saved, I was a fantastic dancer. I was just a great dancer. Once I met Jesus, I couldn't dance anymore. I, I don't know why. I mean, maybe it has something to do with the fact that I quit drinking. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid in elementary school, um, my generation, our dad, most of our dads had come back from World War II, and uh, we were all watching John Wayne movies in the late 50s and early 60s. And, and there's this, this real drive to be tough. So where I grew up, in, even in elementary school, all the boys constantly talked about toughness and who was toughest and who could take who. And, and I remember one of the sayings I've heard guys say many times to each other was, I could take you any day of the week and twice on Sunday. So it, um, it was, uh, it was just a, it was just a kind of like a crazy thing. And, and I was part of it. I wasn't the toughest guy around, but I really had a desire to hold my own in the whole system. And, uh, it, within reason. Okay. And for me, reason stopped with a boy named Danny Hagenbottom. <laughs> Danny was a tough, tough kid. He had a mean streak and he didn't really have any real sense of consequences, you know? Like, somebody like that, you just really want to stay away from. So I knew, like, there would be times guys would be standing around and someone would look at someone and say, do you want to fight? And you had to say yes. And, you know, put them up and, and bloody noses would ensue. But um, I knew if that ever happened with Danny Hagenbottom, I knew what I was going to do. I wasn't just going to say no. I was going to turn around and run. And so somehow I crossed Danny Hagenbottom. And he followed me home. He, he, he normally went the other direction home. We, we all walked home, small town. And, um, and I remember the very spot where he caught up to me and said, we're going to fight. And I didn't say anything. I just turned around and started running. And um, I wasn't ashamed about that, okay? Still, I'm not ashamed about that. It was the wise thing to do, okay? It was just a smart move for me. <laughs> and uh, I remember his feet hitting on the ground pavement behind me as I'm running and he's running behind me. And then I remember my best friend, John Shoemaker, who was a loyal to the, the, to the end and just a wonderful best friend to grow up with. John somehow ran us both down. I have no idea how he did it because I could outrun John easily. John was a big guy. But he ran us down and he caught Danny Hagenbottom by the collar. And I remember him saying, hold on there. You know, like he's the sheriff or something. And so he saved my bacon that day. And uh, I made it home okay. But uh, as, as odd as this might sound, I don't know if some of you may, maybe can identify with a culture like this. But every time I left the house, I knew there was a chance I'd get into a fight. And I didn't get into a lot of fights, but I knew there was a chance I'd get... Uh, pushed around by older guys or be challenged by somebody. And, and that was just part of growing up for me. You know, besides, um, well, that might have been the biggest challenge I faced. But there's also the challenge of math. That was a big challenge in my life. And then, you know, even when you're in second grade, you're in love with some girl and you want to marry her. So that was like maybe the third level challenge in my life was how do I impress the girl that I'm currently in love with and going to marry someday? 
But, um, you know, I share all of this just to say this, that we all face some struggle. We all face battles in life, don't we? We, we do. We all, anytime you leave the house, you don't know what's going to happen. And when we face these battles and these struggles, and some of them are, are things that come against our safety. Some of, most of them, though, are things that come against our ego or they come against our sense of identity or, um, or, or maybe, um, may, maybe relational challenges where uh, there's just, just a, a fear of loss or rejection. But whatever the challenge is, when we face challenges, when we face battles, we typically respond to them. In fact, I would say we always respond to them. Even with Danny Hagenbaugh, I was responding to Danny. And, you know, we became friends later in life, okay? But um, I, was, I responded to him. I had a plan, and I knew what to do when that happened. But when we respond to circumstances, typically what we're trying to do is to control the circumstances around us. We're trying to control the outcome of a situation, and that almost always means trying to control other people. And so whatever the challenge... The tendency is, I want to be safe, I want my heart to be safe, I want my body to be, I want my ego to to be intact, and and so I defend myself. Now, when it comes to other people, so often uh, that control that we we enter into becomes manipulation, uh, or, or coercion, or we try to control other people through our emotions, but I really believe this, that one of the biggest hindrances to our spiritual growth is our belief that it's okay for us to try to control things. And, and our, gut, our gut reaction to challenges and battles in life, when we react with control, that hinders our understanding of God's will for our lives, of his goodness, and of what he wants to do in our lives. Because control is really trying to manage the circumstances to a point of status quo, typically. I'll be content with status quo, which is static. But you know what the Bible says when you hit a hard time? When you, when you enter the valley of the shadow of death, what are you supposed to do? Stop and try to manage the whole thing? Get it all under control because this is where I'm going to be forever. No, it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You see, what God's intent is not that we manage our lives to some point of static status quo that's acceptable to us for our own feelings of safety and security. God's intent is that we move ahead in life, that we don't stay in those places, but that we move ahead in life. And if, if there are two things I'd want to get out today, one of them would be that control is really just a slow burn form of panic, okay? Control is a slow burn form of panic. And another one would be that with God, no matter what the circumstances, if you rely on him and turn to him, there is a way forward. There is a way forward. And so when we, when we really begin to grasp these things, we can, we can have a renewal in our minds so that the way we view life begins to shift and we can walk then in peace, peace with God, peace with other people, because I'm not trying to control all of your actions 
and I'm just moving ahead in my life, my relationship with God. Well, here, I came up with a list of, um, of uh, ways you can know if you have a control problem, all right? And I'm going to tell you, I know that all of these are right. <laughs> I promise you, they are all right. First one is this. You get upset with people who disagree with you or challenge you. Just instant, like something rises up. How dare you challenge the great me? Here's a second one. You feel compelled to argue your point to correct other people's thinking. Yeah, you cannot stand to walk away letting them think you know, the wrong thing. You have such wisdom and you just, it's, it's incumbent upon you to share it with others. You have, to, you have to correct them. Third thing is this. You feel compelled to fix other people's problems. And the closer they are to you, the more compelled you feel. Okay? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah, we all. All of us, huh? All right, fourth. You're embarrassed and anxious when someone close to you makes a mistake because it reflects on you. How about that? Anybody? For me, for sure. You know what happens there? Here's what happens. I, I think. Here's what happened in my life anyway. When you're a kid, you make a mistake. You do something. You, maybe you do it multiple times. And, you're, and your parents are impatient with you. Or they, cor- they, they correct you without patience and love and grace. And, and you start thinking, wow, that's a really bad thing. The look of my dad's face tells me how bad it is to chew with your mouth open. Okay? And so you grow up with that becoming just part of your fabric of your thinking and then when other people you eat with make noise when they eat, you just go nuts. And if it's somebody else, you just tolerate it and talk about them later. If it's your own kid or your own family member, then you're embarrassed because it reflects on you. It's as if you would do that yourself. And of course, I would never do that because it's such an awful thing. But... Um, yeah, you're embarrassed and anxious when someone close to you makes a mistake because it reflects on you. Fifth, you can't stand the thought of one of your kids failing at something and you're compelled to guide them so they don't fall, so they don't fail. How's that? Would you let your kid turn in a paper in fifth grade that you know is going to be a C minus? Or would you force them to rewrite it? Or would you, maybe, maybe making them rewrite it's not a bad thing, depending upon the attitude behind it. But would you rewrite it for them? I know parents who have done that. That's control, okay? Um, here's, here's one. You use emotions to get your way. Oh, son, your mom's going to be so disappointed if you don't come to Thanksgiving dinner. You know, I know, I know your wife wants you to go to her house for things, but your mom, I mean, we always have the whole day together ever since you were little, and, and that's emotional blackmail, okay? So that's coming up, isn't it? Okay, I hope that didn't hurt anybody's feelings right now. <laughs> Anybody here want to admit you said that this week? No, don't admit it. Just come and tell me later. I'll pray for you. Here's number seven. You don't listen to people to learn what they think, but to find out a way to tell them what they should think. Okay? You're not really worthy or smart enough for me to value your ideas, but I will listen to you long enough that I can figure out a way to wedge my ideas in and convince you that I'm right. You ever do that? All right, how about this one? 
You're upset when people don't take your suggestions. What's wrong with them? I told them what to do. Why didn't they do it? Or you follow your leaders loyally, and if you're in charge, you expect that out of those under your care in spades. That's, that's control, okay? And here's the last one. You're upset with deviations from the plan, even though those deviations might actually improve the plan. You get that? You've made a plan. Maybe you made a plan together, and now one of your partners deviates from the plan, and it just upsets you to no end, even though the deviation was made on the spot in light of current information that you didn't have when you, make the, have when you made the plan, and it's a positive shift. So these are all indicators that I might have some um, issues with control in my life. And, and really, as I said, control is a slow burn form of panic because I'm in a situation where I, I feel out of control. Either, either the things surrounding me are overwhelming to me or someone close to me is doing something that is stupid that might hurt them and I love them so much it's gonna hurt me to see them get hurt. And I love myself so much that I don't want to be hurt. But I'm going to say I love them so much I don't want them, them to be hurt. But it's really I'm loving myself so much I can't stand to be hurt by them failing. And so I, I, um, I step in and I try to control the whole thing. So here in the Old Testament there was a story of this great king uh, or, or this great prophet, Elisha. He was a godly man, loved Jesus, uh, loved the Lord, and um, had just a powerful ministry. And one day he had his, um, his, his apprentice with him, and they went to a friendly city that was you know, part of their domain. And they get up in, this, in that, that city one morning, and they look out on this, from the city walls, and they see that they are totally surrounded by enemy troops. Now, the servant panics, and he says, oh my, alas... That's the word, that's how they translate it. Alas. You know, so, so interpret that as he freaked out. And he, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And you know, unfortunately, that's our first response, isn't it? What are we going to do? Elijah, God has failed us. Look at that. We're on our own. What are we going to do? And so Elijah says, hey, chill out, man. Don't worry. More, they're more with us than with them. More, more with us than with them. And then he prays and he says, God, open his eyes so he can see the reality of the situation. Now, you got to hear this. So you can see the reality of the situation. And when his eyes are opened, he sees fiery chariots surrounding the whole thing and all over the place. Thousands of them over, ready to overwhelm the enemy troops. Overwhelming force of angels, of angelic beings in fiery chariots ready to defend them. Now that was reality. Servant thought reality was what he could see with his natural eyes, but that wasn't reality. Reality was what you could see with your spiritual eyes. And so God says to him, well, let's just combine the two right now, Lord, and let the servant see the reality of the spiritual world behind what's happening right now. And so when he saw that, then of course there's, there's, okay, it's a different thing, isn't it? But we have a tendency to ignore the spiritual reality or just not to believe it and to operate only on the basis of what we see. And so there's panic and panic is what are we going to do? 
and then we try to form a plan. And this applies in two different ways. One is when I feel my own life is directly threatened or my peace or my provision or my happiness or my joy in some way is directly threatened, but also when someone that I, I love and the closer they are to me, the more this impacts me. When, when I see them threatened and I'm trying to relieve them of any, some failure or problem that they might be encountering in life. And so what we need to do is to see beyond the natural and understand that when God is with you, who can be against you? That's what the apostle Paul said. He said, man, if God's for us, then who can be against us? See, God plus you is a majority. God plus you is an overwhelming force against any enemy attack that can possibly come against you. And when we really begin to have our mind, not just to hear that and put it on a little plaque and hang it on the refrigerator, but have my mind renewed with that so that like the old way I learned, which is you, you, you got to face the challenge with, you know, with your two fists. Now that's the wrong way, the right way. What's, what's that? That, that's the old way of thinking. That's before Jesus mindset. What is the Jesus mindset? What is the kingdom of God way of thinking? How does heaven look at this? And so when we begin to do that, um, we begin to walk in new power and new life. So you know that song, This Is How I Fight My Battles? We sing it, this is how I fight my battles. You know that? Okay, so there's one line when it says, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded with you. Where do you think they got that line? They got that from this story with with Elisha. It looks like we're surrounded. The enemy forces are here, but no, God's here. We're surrounded with God's presence and God's power, an overwhelming force. We don't have to fear the enemy or the situation or the circumstances, and we don't have to try to control it. So the question is, can you trust God when you don't see him? Can you trust God when, you don't see, when your eyes aren't open and you don't see the angels? Can you believe that God is with you, and if God is for you, who can be against you? And can you believe that to the point that you're going to actually function like that in life? See, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we see just a foundational core truth that all of us need to have permeate our hearts and our minds and our thinking. And it says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. So all your heart you trust God. Not your understanding. The first thing I think of, the first thing that comes to my mind, you know, how, you know, how, how do I defend myself in this situation? I want to I have God's understanding. I'm not going to trust in that. At least, at least my natural impulse, I'm going to learn how to discern when I just need to take a step back and think, okay, that's my impulse, but Lord, you know, what, what do you want? How, how do you want me to respond to this? How do you want me to conduct myself in this? And here's the key thing is when we take that approach, it, he says, he will make your paths straight. And you know what that means? That means that no matter what situation you're in, what circumstance you're in, there is a way forward through it. Remember, you don't want to stay in the, nobody, you don't want to manage the valley of death and get it to some status quo status that you can tolerate. You want to move forward. And there is always a way forward. But what we have to do is trust God to get there. 
we, we have to come to him and say, okay, Lord, I, I, I don't know what to do. I mean, I have ideas and I, and I have some inclinations, but Lord, I'm just going to admit to you, I need you to show me what's the way forward. And, and you, you get into the Bible and you read the word of God, you see how other people have handled problems and you see the truths of the scripture and, and how it applies. And you go to godly people. Listen, hear this. You go to godly people for advice. You don't find someone who's faced the same problem and failed a dozen times. You, you find someone who's, that you know is walking with Jesus and they've been walking with Jesus for a while and you can talk to them and they can, they can just say, well, have you thought about this truth from the Bible? Have you thought about how this applies to your situation? And, and when we do that, God speaks to us and he shows us the way forward. But the way forward does something for us. What's it do? It gives us hope. It eliminates the panic. And remember, control is just slow burn panic. It eliminates the panic if I know there's a way forward, if I'm confident of that. If I just get that down, then I'm going to be able to be at peace and take my time and find out from God what is the way forward. So this whole idea is, um, well, Jesus, he was the only one that really had a totally renewed mind who really understood heaven, understood kingdom of God values and lived them totally in total, total sync with his heart and his inner man and his mind and his life and how he saw the world. And believe me, the guys around him did not, even though they were with him, they, they still, they did not get the whole thing. And that's illustrated towards the end of Jesus' ministry before he died on the cross. He was telling his apostles about the fact that he was gonna die on the cross. And the Son of Man is going to be crucified, and uh, he's going to be buried. He's going to be raised from the dead in the third day. That was just way too much for them. So Peter, in Matthew 16, here's what we read. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. He was saying this, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's interests. All right, look at this. Peter, where's his mind? His mind is not, he's not thinking kingdom thinking. He's not thinking God's thinking or heaven's thinking. He's thinking the way human beings think. And what Peter's thinking is, because he chose to put his mind there, he has set his mind there, He's thinking this, save my friend at all costs. There is no good reason for my friend to go through any pain like this. I can't let that happen. You know, what Peter's thinking is that he, he knows better than Jesus himself. Jesus, you must be mistaken on this. I know you've been right about absolutely everything else, but on this case, you must be wrong, and I'm, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you see that. And, and that's, that's where it comes down to. What Peter thought was totally logical and right was totally opposite to what God thought. Isn't that amazing? Three years with Jesus, and now here he comes up with this great thought that is in complete, total opposition to God's thinking. So much so that Jesus identified it as satanic thinking. That much. And so here, Peter failed to consider that maybe he wasn't as smart as he thought he was. And so what Peter's trying to do here, uh, like a friendly coup, I'm going to save you from yourself. 
I'm going to step in here. I'm going to save you from yourself, Jesus. I'm not going to let this happen. Well, that's control. When we treat other people like that, first of all, what I'm saying is God made some mistakes when he made you and gave you a free will. He gave you the ability to choose. He made you responsible for your life. Not, man, God blew that. And, and I'm going to fix it because I'm going to step in and I'm going to take over and I'm going to help you with your life. That's control. That's what Peter was doing. And I'm just blown away by the fact that Jesus turned to Peter and he didn't say, now, Peter, listen to me. I know you have a good heart. I know you want the right thing. I know you love me and you're thinking of my best interest, but you know, you might want to consider that maybe your thinking's a little off here. I mean, can you imagine if you were Peter and you make this grandiose gesture of no, not going to happen to you and Jesus looks you in the eye and says, Satan. Now, why did he do that? He did that because Peter was tying in to a, a human fallen world type of thinking that is dominated by Satan. In, in fact, in, the, in, in this world, the, un, the, un, the fallen world, Satan has had a pervasive influence on the thought patterns. And he has fed false thought patterns, anti-kingdom thought patterns into the whole system of thinking all the way around the world, no matter what culture you're in. He's called the prince of the power of the air because of that. And so the Bible tells us in James that there is a wisdom that is demonic. It's an earthly wisdom. And that doesn't mean that, that uh, Peter was demonized at the moment or he was possessed by a demon when he said that. It just means he was tying his thinking into demonic thinking. And so Jesus is pretty clear about that here. And it's something we need, to, we need to think of. It's not just like there's this, there's this neutral type of thinking. But, but Peter is, is in this thought of, at all costs, save my friend. Well, maybe there's a good reason for your friend to sacrifice his life. Maybe, maybe there is a good reason for that. Is there ever a reason for someone to sacrifice their life, even, even for us? Is there? Yeah, there is. What if someone's attacking my wife and children? Are you going to tell me, oh, Van, no, don't, don't step in. Don't try to save them. No, you wouldn't say that. So there's, there's, there are reasons that trump living. There are worse things than dying. And, and Peter, on, on a real simple level, wasn't getting that. Even on that simple level, he wasn't getting it. But we need to get that. We need to learn to understand and to think that way. So, uh, so this whole idea of control, um, control just to review, it arises out of fear and insecurity. It is slow burn, um, panic, and control tries to influence our situation or other people by power, by threat, by manipulation, by coercion, or friendly coup, which is what Peter was trying to do to take over someone else's life. It arises out of fear, but do you know what? It's based on pride. It's based on the pride that I know better. I know what's right for you. And, and the pride that says it's okay for me to try to insert myself into your life and take over your responsibilities. And so it's, it's all based on pride. But control dishonors God in this, this whole sense that we are not recognizing that God made others in his image and gave them free will and free choice and responsibility before him. And that what I need to focus on is my responsibility not someone else's. 
Now, what's my responsibility? Well, in my relationships, my responsibility is to love, love the people in my relationships. Part of that sometimes comes down to speaking the truth. Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth that, you know, that, boy, I, I, can we talk? I've just got to tell you. I'm really concerned for you because I see you making some decisions that I think are going to have a real destructive impact in your life. And I just want to ask you, would you look at this passage and would you pray? Would you just pray about this with me? Because I, I really think you're headed the wrong way on this. And then you walk away and leave it. No anxiety, no need to have them bow the knee to you at the moment and say, yes, you're right, oh wise one. Just, it's just love. It's just the freedom to communicate without anxiety what you see. That's, that is our responsibility. But then when we, when we um, you know, they, they argue back. I mean, I've done this di- different times where, well, I don't see that. I disagree with that. Well, you know what peace says? Peace says, okay, fair enough, but would you just pray about it? You know, just out of honor for our relationship and friendship, would you pray about it? That's what peace does. Do you know what control and anxiety does? Control and anxiety gets, gets, rises up and, and we try to argue with them and convince them on the spot that they're wrong. And, and I'm not saying that there's not any discussion that happens there, but it has to happen without anxiety and without the, without the feeling that I've, if I don't convince them, then I have failed. That's control when we think that way. And so um, God doesn't want us to, to live that way. It's really assuming that God's not working in their life. Okay, it's assuming God's not working in their life. And if I put myself in God's place and I try, then I'm, I, I'm standing the risk of actually separating them from God by putting myself between them and God. And so the, the whole thing, the, the recognition that God is working in their life, there is a way forward. Whether they're going to say yes or no or God is not my job. It's not. Now, the hardest time that hits us is when it's someone we really love, a family member, a child, mother, father. But we, have to, we just have to accept this. The way God made us, he did not make it my responsibility to make other people's decisions and choices. And so I have to honor them. And the best influence I can have is when I honor them the way God made them. And, and, I, and I say, look, here's what I see. I, you know, I'm concerned for you because of this. And would you just pray about that? And I love you. And um, you know, pass the potatoes or whatever. I mean, it's not, it's, I'm, I'm not going to reject you, okay? And so, so here's a verse, Romans 14, 4. It says, in any time we try to control another person, we are in some way judging them. We're judging them as inefficient, as um, not able to think, not capable of running their own life or something. And so he says in Romans 14, 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. All right, what does that sound like? It sounds like I'm concerned for somebody and I feel like I've got to convince them. But what Paul is saying, no, you don't. You can talk to them. You can, you can lovingly encourage and exhort them, but they're going to stand or fall before God. And he's able to make them stand. And that's telling me God is at work in their life. And so we find peace in that. And we find comfort in that. And we trust God with our own lives as well as with the lives of other people. Now, 
when it comes to kids, and there's so much I'm not covering here. Like what if you have somebody who is incompetent mentally or you think they are, but really picture that when somebody really is incompetent mentally, then you picture, picture a friend of yours who's making a dumb decision and what you're really doing by trying to control them is treat them as if they're incompetent. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so I, I'm, we're not going to deal with that, okay? We're not going to talk about that. I will talk a moment about kids and, and just say, I know by experience, you can't let two-year-olds decide on their own if they should walk out in the middle of traffic or not. They, they can't. You can't let them decide. You know, when I was a little boy, I was so energetic and so much on the move that if my mother wanted to hang the laundry, she had to tie a rope around my waist and tie it to the laundry pole. Otherwise, I'd get away. And... <laughs> And I did get away once, and that's why she did this, and we lived half a block away from Main Street in town, small town, but still cars everywhere, and I'm two years old, I remember, it's hard to believe I remember this, but I remember standing along the edge of the road, and I saw a pothole in the middle of the street, big pothole, and I thought, I'll bet there's something in that, and I went out. And I sat down on the edge of it, and I, the little guy, I put my feet down in the pothole and started just looking at what was in the pothole. And then I remember someone yelling, and I'm looking up and seeing people point at me, and a policeman running towards me. That's the last I remember. But um, uh, you can't let a two-year-old make those decisions. And my mother, if she was here, she'd be embarrassed right now that I'm telling this. But uh, I was pretty hard to corral. You can't let a two-year-old decide that. So you do control that. But as they grow, the whole trick of parenting, the whole wisdom of parenting is you know what stage they're at and you release more and more and more freedom to them. You know, when they're real little, the decision, the freedom is, do you want to run backwards to bed tonight or do you want to ride on my back and I'll give you a horsey back ride? Which do you want? Okay, so you're giving them a choice. You're teaching them that they can make decisions, that they're allowed to make decisions. But you're limiting their options, and they almost always go for it. They don't even know that this is a trick just to get them in bed. But, um, but as they grow, you, you give them freedom, more freedom and more freedom until you, they hit the point, you know, our goal was at 18, we'd like our kids to be able to go off and live on their own. And we want them to be equipped to do that. So whether your goal is 18, 20, 22, whatever the goal is, at that point, you enter into a new relationship with them where you treat them as full adults. And from that point on, you're treating them as full adults, as good friend full adults, where you still have the freedom to go to them and to say, hey, I'm concerned about this, or I see you making this decision. Can we talk about that? But without the anxiety that I, as a parent, have to control you because you're my kid, and it's gonna hurt me too much if you mess up your life. Okay, so... Uh, the, the, this, this whole thing is stuff that we just, we want to bring under control and the Lord will help us. So to conclude the whole, the whole message here, I want to say control is a form of short-term panic. Remember that none of us want to panic, do we? Secondly, spiritual growth is learning to turn to God before you turn to yourself. Turn to God before you turn to yourself. And the third thing is this. No matter what the situation, with God involved, there's always a way forward. Sigh of relief there, huh? Okay, so let's pray. Father, um, we we thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that that you, you honor 
our decisions, even when we make bad ones, that you don't force yourself on us. But Father, because of that, we, we just want to run to you. We want to have you speak to us. We want to have you direct our lives. So Holy Spirit, right now, renew our thinking. Take out of our thinking this whole idea that we have to protect, that we have to, uh, that we have to inject ourselves into other people's lives and control their lives and give us insight to see the power that we can have when we're living in peace and the Holy Spirit is just resting in us and flowing through us and we just offer a challenge based on truth. Pray for freedom right now in Jesus' name, amen. All right, in just a moment, we're gonna receive our offering, but um, just as as a brief report, which we do periodically, our offerings over the summer were stellar. I mean, it was incredible. I was just amazed and blown away. Um, thank you for doing that. Thank you for giving so faithfully. And even when we're all on vacation, um, everyone was still giving. That's really awesome. Now, for some reason, I don't really fully understand, but I'm really thinking through it. In September and October, the offerings dropped some. And so um, as, we, as we approach the end of the year, I just want you to be aware of that that it's really, really good for the church and all of the ministries we have going on, which we have a lot going on, and we'll share more of that with you in the future. But it's really good for the church to end the year strong financially because then we, we have confidence setting our budget for the next year and we know where we're headed and all of that. So take that into consideration over the next six weeks as you give. And right now, grab that basket and pass it down the aisle, please. And then we're going to worship. Yeah, so Father, uh, we just bless your name. Thank you that we get to give. Thank you that we get to be part of your kingdom and part of advancing your kingdom and seeing people's lives changed and blessed. We want to worship you now. So Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here. Come, release joy and peace. And just a real spirit of joyful worship in Jesus' name. Amen. But we all stand. Let's start. At this point, I welcome you to come up to the front or to the back or wherever is comfortable for you. Let's do worship.
by you, no matter what we're facing, no matter how much confusion there might seem to be there, we ask you to give us eyes to see your presence, to see that you're with us, to see that the Father has sent angels from heaven to surround us, and we're going to fight our battles through your power, through your life. Thank you, God. Yeah. Amen. Amen. We're going to have our our prayer teams come to the front, and uh, we pray every service because we believe God answers, and we we believe in an immediacy of this, that when we ask for something that that, uh, so often, it just happens, you know, just like that. And so uh, for healing, for physical healing, come for anything you need, uh, for any emotional issues or any struggles you're facing in life or relationships you want prayer for, we'll pray for that too. Specifically, um, I had a sense that somebody has injured their nose somehow and this sounds kind of odd but somehow like the tip of the nose and if that if i'm right and that's you then you're going to know how much god loves you and if i'm wrong then so what that uh, also hips and shoulders we believe god wants to touch people particularly with hip and shoulder problems today but anything you need come for prayer okay uh, freedom from fear of supernatural experience with god if you're afraid of what it would be like if the Holy Spirit really touched you, then we believe there's freedom here today for you to get free from that fear and and really to come into a deeper experience of the love of Jesus through that. And uh, another word that we got was, give me your anxiety and I'll give you my confidence. Okay, that, that fits, doesn't it? So come up for prayer for any of these things. Picture of Jesus at the door is going to come up on the screen. Now. There it is. Wow. Okay, so if you've never seen this before, this is Jesus at the door of your heart, and, and he's knocking, but the, the handle's on the inside. Only you can open and let him in. And this is something you do, like, in your lifetime one time. It's like getting married, and then you, you meet him. You meet Jesus. You become one with him. If you've never invited Jesus into your heart, you never have, then come up to the front, talk to one of the prayer teams, or come over to this side of the auditorium. There'll be a few of us here. Just tell us, I want to know about the picture, okay? Just say that. And uh, we'll explain to you what it means to accept Jesus into your heart. All right, so families, for the holidays, I'm going to pray for you right now. Um, You don't have to win the argument. You don't have to be right. You don't have to convince anybody of anything. They say someone says something crazy. You just say, that's really interesting. I look at it a different way and pause. And if they want to hear it, you share it. And if they say, you are crazy, you say, you know, maybe I am. But all I know is that what I just told you changed my life. It's just that simple. And you don't, you just, okay, so just be at peace. Father God, I pray for everyone here that's going to enter any type of a stressful relationship situation at, at Thanksgiving over the holidays, that you would anoint every person in this room to carry peace and your presence into those situations. We give up control. We don't have to convince anybody or make them think or believe anything. Uh, we'll just love them. And, and, and let them be responsible to God. So I bless you with that freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, see you next week, okay? Thanks for coming.